Welcome to Real World Talk, a podcast that brings together healthcare leaders to discuss the importance of real world data in accelerating drug development and improving cancer care. Real World Talk is brought to you by CODA, a company that combines oncology expertise with advanced technology and analytics to create clarity from fragmented and often inaccessible real world data. Hello, welcome to another episode of Real World Talk with CODA. My name is Drew Belli and I'll be your host today. I'm so pleased to welcome Jeff Allen, President and CEO of Friends of Cancer Research to the podcast. Jeff, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here, here with you. Friends is really an amazing organization. I've certainly had the pleasure of working with you in a number of different collaborations and initiatives. Could you give our listeners a little bit of an overview of your background and the mission of Friends? Sure. So personally, I've been with the organization for 15 years, actually, at this point. I'm a molecular biologist by, by training. I was doing cancer research at the NIH for a few years before moving more into our policy role here at, at Friends. Our organization is celebrating its 25th uh, anniversary this year, actually. And for the better part of those years, we've really focused on FDA-related policy, really thinking about ways that we can bring together different collaborators in order to provide a scientifically driven, evidence-based to inform good policy, really with the ultimate goal of thinking about how to accelerate the delivery of new medicines to patients as fast as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about sort of accelerating new medicine and innovation, it's we're in early March now. It's sort of one year. It's been a challenging year, but this is sort of marks one year since the world, certainly in the United States, changed with the COVID-19 pandemic. And Friends has really been instrumental in driving that collaboration you mentioned across the industry with academics, regulators, industry partners, bringing everyone together to help serve as a catalyst for research and, and really gain real-time insights. And that certainly happened in the pandemic, a prime example being the COVID-19 Evidence Accelerator in partnership with the Reagan Udall Foundation. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the origins of the accelerator and how did it start and what was it like being in the center of that type of innovation, particularly at such a rapidly moving time? Yeah, I think as we think back to really where we as a society really were a year ago, dealing with a completely unknown situation, both from a biological pathogen standpoint, but even from a societal standpoint of what was going on and the enormity of the circumstances at hand in really a situation where decisions were having to be made on limited evidence at that point. And so it really was trying to build on some of our oncology-related work, which, of course, Cody, you were an instrumental part of with our number of different partners, including the FDA, with that type of collaborative insights using real-world evidence. And the thought really was, could we take some of those types of collaborative measures and approaches to evaluating evidence together as a community in order to really help sort through just the enormity of different information that was emerging and needed to move very quickly in the case of COVID-19, where there wasn't necessarily the chance for it to go through some of the normal types of evaluation and policymaking processes, where it was critical to really try and sort through that information as rapidly as possible so the best decisions could be made. So that was really the origin. We were fortunate and continue to be to partner with the Reagan Udall Foundation on this effort and have since expanded it into a number of different forums. You know, 
this really was launched with the idea of bringing together different collaborators across the healthcare system in the real world evidence space to, to compare notes, even on an informal basis, to share findings, to share methodologies, and really try and accelerate learning. We've since been able to move that into areas looking at potential therapies that could influence outcomes associated with COVID-19, diagnostic testing in terms of trying to evaluate the real-world performance of different tests to diagnose and monitor COVID-19 over time, even thinking about how some of these strategies might deploy into the future around long-term learnings for vaccine durability and efficacy into the future. Yeah, I mean, I think as you highlighted, I mean, I think one of the most powerful aspects coming out of that collaboration and the pandemic is just how a sort of a shared mission can really be uniting and sort of breaking down barriers, so to speak, right? Or collaborations that otherwise might not have happened for the shared purpose. And in this case, it was so important because there were so many unknowns with COVID-19 in terms of effective treatments, as you said. And so I just think it was, it's been really incredible to be a part of. CODA has been, feel very fortunate to be able to contribute to that. And friends and the Reagan Udall Foundation have just done amazing work. And certainly many of those themes carry over into oncology. And so thinking about oncology innovation specifically, and there's so much needed in oncology given its complexity and certainly unknowns there, Friends has done an amazing job at fostering collaboration amongst real world data partners, again, with the kind of the concept of shared thought, right? Even if we're, we're certainly sharing results, but you don't even need to share the underlying data in being in the room together and helping to push forward as thought partners has just been so instrumental. And particularly in the real world data industry, where one of the primary challenges is sort of standardization. The pilot projects have been extremely valuable in providing sort of industry level guidance on this and really helping to push the real world data industry forward. Can you talk a little bit about the pilot projects in oncology and and more thinking forward, where do you see the next most important areas for future collaboration in the real world data industry being? Yeah, well, I really want to highlight the fact that these partnerships are driven by the expertise of the partners, and that's been a critical component to collaboration and to success. And that's true of all of our research partnerships that we've been able to be a part of, whether it's on the biomarker validation side, the acceleration of clinical trials, several projects that we've done there, and certainly in the real-world evidence space, that the expertise of the partners that are willing to come together probably share data in a different way, even drop competitive barriers at times, to be able to think about strategies that can inform some of those specific fields together better and ultimately do it faster than perhaps any one organization could do on their own. And that really was at the heart of the real-world evidence pilot projects over the last couple of years, where I think the initial project was really about level setting the field to try and understand where different data sets were able to answer a common question in different ways, what some of those variables that could be extracted from different data sources were, and how that might actually influence the observations around that particular case study question. I think doing this in partnership was was really critical. The strategies and the methods that were deployed, I don't think were unique to any of the partners per se, but by doing it in a uniform, transparent way across different data sets, it provided a different level of insights than just doing it on one individual attempt to answer a question and really trying to do it in sort of a 
low-risk environment. We, of course, were trying to do so and answer questions that had already been answered to some extent, looking at the potential effectiveness of immunotherapy in lung cancer, which has been well characterized. But there was low risk to it because we weren't actually looking for a specific regulatory decision, for example. So it provided sort of a learning laboratory to be able to partner and really dive into the data. I think we use that experience then to think about what other measures could be extracted from some of these data and even thinking about ways that as a next step, could we use some of the approaches that the various collaborators were able to identify, thinking about different endpoints and different metrics to really understand whether we were at a point with some of the methodology that had been developed to be able to distinguish between different therapeutic options. Really thinking about how this type of evidence could inform information about the long-term benefit potentially of a drug, which you know is really a critical component of oncology drug discovery and in delivery. With the majority of drugs almost at this point going through an accelerated approval process based on an intermediate endpoint, you know, there's a growing need to understand how these products perform in the post-market space. So I think what we've been able to collaborate on as an ecosystem here hopefully can inform some of that long-term monitoring that may be required for regulatory purposes, but even thinking into the future around things like payment policy, which could really benefit from some uniform, really tried and tested approaches to better monitor the performance of drugs in the post-market space over time and in different populations than were originally included in some of those clinical trials. Yeah, great points. And certainly there's a lot of future applications for real-world data value-based care being a primary landscape that there's certainly tremendous opportunity for. I love the concept of learning laboratory and being able to speak from being in those collaborations directly. That is truly what it feels like is really just a forum for partners who otherwise wouldn't, might not connect, right, or share thoughts in any venue, particularly, and certainly might even be competitive to really break down those walls and come together and push the industry forward. And it really needs that. And so I think that's tremendous point and certainly something that has provided a lot of value to the real world data industry. Changing gears a little bit, but I think very important and certainly relevant to the policy work that you've done and at Friends. President Biden is known to be a champion of research, thinking about the Moonshot Research Initiative, the Biden Cancer Research Initiative. He's been a very big proponent. How do you think the Biden administration might serve as a catalyst for oncology research and impact your work at Friends? Yeah, it is a real unique opportunity that perhaps we haven't seen um, for many years to have president and, frankly, a vice president who have been impacted directly by cancer and have put this on the top of their list of things that they want to make progress on very early on in their administration. So we think about this as incredible opportunity to really provide a vehicle to accelerate the progress that has been made. I think what we'll likely see is hopefully some renewal of funding. We are at a period of time where some of the original cancer moonshot funding at then Vice President Biden led at the time where that's sort of starting to ramp down, where there may be opportunities to collaborate, to, to reinstate some of that types of funding for some of those projects that are still continuing. But I think really going back to the mantra that the Obama-Biden administration was leading in the cancer moonshot around how to condense progress 
for things that may otherwise take a decade into five years is something that really will continue to sort of be at the heart of potential things to explore here. And in many ways, I think it will be important to lean on some of the concepts that have been developed in terms of COVID-19. Things around accessibility to healthcare generally, but clinical trials specifically. We've seen a lot of modifications that have had to be made in the context of COVID-19 that have almost forced change that there's may not be a reason to go back on. Instances where things like remote monitoring or remote services or telehealth type interactions could actually inform and accelerate and improve the accessibility to clinical trials. And I think that's an important lesson to try and capture and think about how it can be sustained. Different models of research, things that even, you know, we've had good fortune of being part of some of those when it relates to things like accelerating clinical trials process. And one of our first partnerships was the Lung Cancer Master Protocol that's now being run through the NCI and the Foundation for the NIH with various different pharmaceutical partners that have created a clinical network to try and accelerate the development of targeted therapies in lung cancer. And while that was an early prototype, I think we've seen how some of these master protocol type approaches can be applied to not only different types of cancer, but again, even thinking about COVID-19 therapies in order to accelerate some of the processes associated with development of new medicines. I do think it's a great opportunity to capture some of the progress that is being made in technology and science, you know, specifically things like policy modifications that could enhance the development of cell and gene therapies. Really a pipeline in that area that has never been seen before that may require doing things a little bit differently. Some things very specifically, maybe there'll be lessons from COVID even in that space around things like manufacturing readiness and how technological advancements can improve manufacturing and quality processes, something that's critical for that field in order to expedite and enhance delivery of of safe products to patients. And also in the real world evidence space, again, I think there's a lot of potential where policy can be driven forward, looking at the new ways of developing research tools. You know, I think we've long recognized that not every clinical question can be answered by a clinical trial. It's just not feasible. So there has to be a degree of prioritization and thinking about when a clinical trial isn't able to be conducted to answer a question, are there different sources of evidence that can still provide that high quality of information and certainty around a question? It will be really important thinking about ways to continue to accelerate the development of new medicines, and that may require additional monitoring over time that real-world evidence can help augment traditional clinical approaches in order to provide that information. So I think all of those things are different topics that are scientifically and technology very ready for at least an examination of how they could be brought together and policies could enhance their advancement and really continue to catalyze the future of cancer discovery and care. Absolutely. And I think, as you said, that's really the power or the power that can be generated from healthcare policy and subsequent innovation and thinking specific to real world data. I mean, the 21st Century Cures Act has been really important to drive that innovation and really push the wave forward. And did you anecdotally, have you seen when the 21st Century Cures Act was put into effect? Did you see sort of immediate action towards that goal? Right. And I think I'm curious your thoughts on on if you think that additional legislation could help to push that forward and additional policy. 
Yeah, I think it can help at all levels. One of the great things about what happened with 21st Century Cures and the initial movement around that was really bringing innovation and biosciences to a more regular conversation. There was so much discussion and action around the concepts of looking at ways to improve discovery and delivery of new products that it became a more regular conversation about how important that is for, you know, as a country and how it can be beneficial to so many aspects of life, most importantly, focusing on how we can improve the health of, you know, the health of patients through some of these activities. But even from that big picture, all the way down to some of the very specific policies that were laid forward in that legislation specifically that were able to be actionized very quickly with the passage of the bill. I think we've seen things like, you know, looking at better alignment across government. One of the things that we were very interested and in saw come forward in 21st Century Cures was things like the Oncology Center of Excellence at the FDA, you know, really to try and provide a cohesive alignment around all of the cancer activities that may be going on at the agency. And I think that's been a successful model, but really speaks again to the collaboration that's needed across the different disciplines and technological modalities that are a component of cancer care in its current state. So I think a lot was achieved through that particular bill. And now that we're at a point several years later where there's effective leadership in place that is prioritizing these types of issues again, I think it's worthwhile because the science has changed in many ways in that short time. Technology has led to more advancements And as science continues to change, I think it's important for us as a community to think about ways that we can develop the evidence to then support the policy to make sure that good policy is informed and driven by the current state of science. Absolutely. That's well said. And I particularly like the point you made about the normalization, right, and the conversation and just bringing it to the forefront and then establishing the common frameworks that we've talked about in the evidence accelerator and the pilot projects and oncology, those types of things really help to advance science, as you said. So this is sort of thinking forward and given your position at so much of this innovation, I'm curious your perspective sort of long-term, and I get that some of this would be speculative, but sort of long-term thought in terms of the future of cancer research and cancer care, What do you think cancer looks like in 20 years? I mean, if you think about how much progress has been made in intervals, even the last five years, right? It really seems to be exponential in some senses in terms of what we're discovering. What do you think cancer care looks like in 20 years? Do we see continued reductions in mortality or advancements in precision oncology or or even complete eradication in some senses? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say reduced mortality, yes. Advancements in precision oncology, definitely. Completely eradicated, perhaps a little unlikely, but I think we'll still see, hopefully, really transformative shifts. I hope that can occur on a number of different fronts. You know, I think it's important to keep in mind that while there have been recent, very notable successes in developing new treatments for cancer, that still may be for, in some cases, a minority of patients for some types of cancer, those that type of progress hasn't yet been made. But I think there's a great deal of opportunity on the horizon in both of those scenarios for improvement. And I do, I think it's important for 
the, the cancer research ecosystem or the biomedical research ecosystem to think about why has have been some of those successes. And I think COVID-19 in some ways has shown us that success can be driven in large part through collaboration, thinking about ways that different industries can come together and try and solve a particularly vexing problem. Right now, we are still in a state of with cancer where despite what all of the unfortunate circumstances that have been uncovered and had to be dealt with with regard to COVID-19, we're still in a period where the anticipated deaths due to cancer this year are still outpacing that of COVID-19. Same with heart disease. You know, so there is still a lot of room to try and think about where we as a community can come together and try and accelerate progress on these fronts. And I think that's important to do it in a methodical way together. Yes, science will continue to progress. Discoveries will continue to happen. But it's important as an enterprise to think about how can we more rapidly take some of those early discoveries and accelerate the pace to which they go into additional testing, ultimately turn it into new medicines, and how can they get delivered more efficiently to all of the people that need them beyond just the clinical trials, beyond just the populations that are included in those trials traditionally, but really think about how we can continue to enhance sort of the end-to-end approach to delivering, to developing and delivering new medicines, I think is really critical. It remains a challenge. I would say technology has enabled this to be done much better over the years, but continued attention on how to catalyze those processes forward, I think will get us further to where we can be in 20 years from now. Absolutely. I think certainly real world data has a place to play in that evidence generation in regards to recognizing that cancer isn't one size fits all. And there is a universe of patients outside of the clinical trial setting that might not apply to those particular findings. And maybe even as a potential avenue for a future collaboration in oncology, right, to generate sort of more novel insights. Now that we've already established the framework, can we next seek to generate evidence, you know, on a population that that might be unknown? For example, a risk prognostic score might not fit all patients, right? And if it's developed in a particular patient thinking to racial disparities of care, right, which is being heavily studied, I think there's certainly an opportunity for us to generate insights from that as well. It's really, it's coming to a point where real world evidence has, with the capabilities continue to evolve, but I think it's going to help improve sort of this rapid cycle approach where the early phase learnings about a molecular target can inform the clinical trials that can be done to help deliver the medicine to more people. But real world evidence is a critical bridge to provide that information of how those drugs are performing, not only themselves, but to provide better information about what those next drug targets or missing links can be in order to keep the research cycle moving and hopefully at an accelerated pace so that those next studies are more well-informed and different strategies even can be deployed using that type of information in perhaps ways that haven't been able to be done in the past. Right. Well, Jeff, this has been particularly insightful. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining. And as always, it's great. And the work that you and friends do is truly remarkable. So so keep it up. Well, thanks so much. We look forward to uh, continuing to partner with you all as well. Excellent. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real World Talk. For more episodes and to understand how we can all bring clarity to cancer care using real world data, please visit us at CodaHealthcare.com. 
We look forward to having you next time on Real World Talk.